You are listening to the PYD Lab, the podcast for implementers and young leaders who want to examine innovative approaches to positive youth development and hear stories of young people leading change in their communities. This podcast is made possible by the support of the American people through the United States Agency for International Development, or USAID. The content and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of USAID or the United States government. Hey, it's Natasha and you're in the PYD Lab. Today is all about entrepreneurship. This is a special episode of the PYD Lab as it coincides with Global Entrepreneurship Week. We're hosting a campaign over at youthlead.org where we are sharing the stories of incredible young entrepreneurs and also on your favorite social media platforms using the hashtag MyBusinessStory. Without further delay, let's get into our latest episode featuring Albanian entrepreneur Angela Brucci of Empowerful and Greenland's Rasmus Jacobson of Greenlandic Greenhouse, two young entrepreneurs whose companies have elements of social good and positive impacts on the economy and the environment. Let's take a listen. Rasmus and Angela, thank you so much for coming in the lab with us today. Thank you so much for having us. Yes, thank you for having us. Entrepreneurship is my absolute favorite topic, being a former entrepreneur myself. And it's such a learning journey. It really showed me what I was made of. And so I would love to just hear a little bit about the beginning of both of your journeys. Rasmus, we'll start with you. Could you tell us a little bit about the actual moment that you decided to go into business for yourself? Yeah, sure. I have been living in Greenland for like uh, two years. And there's always a shortage of um, fresh lettuce, fresh herbs, and, and such. So me and my, my partner, we decided to, to try to um, start something up. And um, I went to Spain, actually, to get some inspiration and to buy all our equipment. And then um, we rented a, an old warehouse. Basically, we built a, an indoor vertical farm for, from scratch. And we've been like steady, steadily uh, expanding since we started four or five years ago. It's been a very interesting journey so far. Oh, wow. Why an indoor farm versus starting something outside? Was it weather conditions or what made you make that decision? Yeah, yeah, because of the weather conditions here in, uh, here in Greenland. We are located just south of the polar circle. So um, for most of the year, it's freezing outside. And so the season is very, very short. And at the same time, um, we are pretty far away from everything. The, the goods that arrives here often are not as fresh as it could be, and there are delays and, and such. So it, it seemed like a, like a good idea, and it, it has been. And because it's indoor, does that automatically mean that you have to use hydroponics, or is that a particular choice for a reason? We could grow in soil, but um, we chose to do it hydroponically for a few different reasons. First off, there's not much soil here in Greenland, you know, everything is mountains and rocks. So even soil costs a lot. And uh, it has quite the CO2 footprint to import the soil from Europe to here. And um, we can't really reuse it that much. So instead, we're growing hydroponically. It takes a lot less resources. So instead of growing in soil, we're using a cocoa core just for the plants to root. And then they, they grow directly into the water in the system. That is amazing. I'm always fascinated by all of this stuff. 
Angela, please jump in. What about you? How did you get started? Like, what was the moment where you were like, you know what, I'm doing this, I'm launching this thing and why? Entrepreneurship, I think, teaches you a lot of lessons. And as you said, Natasha, it gives you resilience and to learn how to cope with different things in different ways. For me, it was when I was 15, 16 years old, and I was thinking about so many social problems happening around the world, and especially in my country of origin, which is Albania, a developing country. And I would see so much poverty and uh, so much inequality, especially around the girls and women. And I always thought social assistance or economic assistance from the government was not enough, but I also believed in the power of the human being to be equipped with the right skills to get out of poverty mm. and of inequality. And I thought, how can I do it in a way that can benefit both the customers, but also the, the target group that was suffering from it? Six or seven years ago, I won a program called uh, Erasmus for Young Entrepreneurs, and I developed my first ever social enterprise plan and uh, traveled to Netherlands and met with different startups there to understand how we can create sustainable startup models and social enterprises that can help. My focus was uh, vulnerable girls and women, mainly victims of domestic violence and human trafficking in Albania how we can uh, make tailor-based employment opportunities for them that not only provide them an income, but also make them happy within their own choices. That is so amazing. And I'm curious, Angela, when you were young, like, do you feel like you've always kind of been entrepreneurial or a leader? Or how would you describe yourself prior to launching your business? I love this question because personally, I was always the, the child in the classroom that would never speak if I wasn't asked by my teacher. I wouldn't see myself as an entrepreneur, actually coming also from a very vulnerable background myself, escaping a civil war in Albania when I was a child with my family, always gave me those indirect uh, limiting beliefs that I would never be able to be an entrepreneur. I would just think of low-skill jobs for myself when I was thinking about the future. And I believe that it's half, as you said, and you need to not only have those brilliant ideas, but also have the support in place and a huge resilience to act on these ideas. But I would, I would never see myself uh, when I was younger as an entrepreneur or someone who helps other people. So it's something that came as years passed. Big respect to, to you and Jill. It means a lot what you're doing. That's pretty amazing. I love that both of the work that you're doing, there's this huge social element, you with, you know, helping these women who have survived trafficking and Rasmus, your work, um, there's such a huge green element to it and benefiting the environment. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, even though we are an indoor vertical farm, we use a lot of lights in the form of LEDs. Almost all electricity here in Greenland is generated by hydropower, which itself is green. The carbon footprint on our products is a lot smaller than the imported stuff. And also we can guarantee some freshness in the product so that um, the different stores, hotels and so on don't have to throw anything away. Yeah, and beside that, we are creating some jobs. We have a lot of visitors in public schools and uh, colleges and so on. So we feel like we are yeah, we're teaching people, we're giving people a new perspective and creating ideas for people. Well, that's interesting. Rasmus, are you direct to consumer or are you working with intermediaries? Like I know you mentioned grocery stores and stuff. Are you working with restaurants too or? Yeah, um, our main customers are hotels and restaurants. So we don't really sell directly to people. 
we sell to the supermarkets. That's also because, you know, everything here in Greenland is quite isolated. You know, there's no road connections between the different cities. So in, in order to get our product out to as many people as possible, we really need um, the stores to help us. And if we were to sell our, our products ourselves, we would be in kind of a competition with the supermarkets. And Angela, who are your direct customers? For us are the employers who will employ survivors of human trafficking. Uh, in some cases, investing companies that will accept to invest in the social enterprise ideas that come from survivors themselves. So it's a mix of target customers, as I would say. But we mainly operate as a grassroots transferable model, which aims to be as a social franchise in the next years. That's our vision, where we transfer this model across different countries and we aim to have a diverse customer base. That operates in the form of a social enterprise, which means that me personally or uh, the, the people who are involved in running the model, we don't get any profit. But any profit or any uh, funds raised during the services that we provide is reinvested directly to survivors, either through uh, giving them directly to them when they have project ideas or investing into tools that will impact on their employment or on them having stronger CVs, getting more vocational training so that they're ready to get into the labor market and be same as everyone else who is seeking employment. Because when we talk about survivors of domestic violence or human trafficking, especially in Albania, most of them have uh, missed high school or vocational training because their trafficking experience happened during the ages of 16 to 24 years old. So there's so many huge gaps that we need to fill. Be ready for the labor market. That is amazing. I would love to know a little bit more about the entrepreneurial scene where you guys live. Well, one of the things I love is I feel like many countries outside of the United States, entrepreneurship seems to be a natural way of life, right? Is that the case where you both are from? Like, what's the entrepreneurial scene like right now? In Albania, is the ecosystem generally of entrepreneurship is at the very early stage of development, especially when it comes to youth-led startups. We've had some changes in the recent years where we've had uh, different accelerators or programs that support youth entrepreneurship, but that's with a very small amount of, uh, of funding for a startup to survive in the first two years. I would say that mainly all the startup support here is from international funding agencies and projects, and it's very challenging. And when it comes to social enterprises themselves, there are very few at the moment in Albania because also the legal context doesn't support them a lot, which is a huge disadvantage because they already have additional barriers in the work that they do, but also because they provide a different set of services. Rasmus, what about you in, in Greenland? Yeah, I would say that I moved here. I, I had my girlfriend is originally Greenlandic, Inuit, and so is my children. I would say from an outside perspective that the Greenlandic people are actually quite entrepreneurial. People are used to living in, the, in a isolated communities and uh, fishing is, is huge here in Greenland. And a lot of people have their own boats. They go fishing and then they sell their, their catch to the fish factories. They are actually self-employed. And besides that, a lot of uh, the women, they are doing uh, traditional clothing, traditional tattooing, uh, working with pearls. I would say the mindset is quite entrepreneurial. There's not a long distance from idea to action. So that's one of the things I love about the Greenlandic people. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I love that. You know, you ask many entrepreneurs, 
what they need and they usually scream money and you know marketing and what are your top two needs right now and why uh, money is always needed we started all of this ourselves so we are completely self-founded we need some investment to take it to the next level right now we're growing on approximately I think 500 square meters right now we are pretty focused on the leafy greens both herbs and uh, due to it being the most fragile it often gets spoiled during transportation and uh, we're making an impact but yeah we would like all vegetables to be here from greenland and uh, some deals with the government about electricity prices about the rates on different hours of the day and, and such uh, here, here in greenland all the electricity prices are, are the same whether you're private or a company what we're trying to do is to get the fishing rate for all food producers. That also means bakeries, butchers, and so on. It will also make sure that the end product is a little cheaper and more available to, to the people. We have had some great meetings with the, with the government here, so we think we are on our way. Yeah, I think that's great. Angela, what about you? Yes, and uh, before mentioning our needs, I would say that I love this sense of community where uh, small enterprises or young entrepreneurs come together for a common cause. I think this is really beautiful. And I really believe in the change of the community, uh, regardless of how hard it seems at the beginning. In terms of our top two needs at the moment, it's not uh, directly money in our case. At our case is mainly having sustainable employment opportunities for survivor. We've been struggling a lot to access employment opportunities that have salaries above the, the minimum wage amount and also uh, child-friendly working environments where they support single mothers and they have flexible working hours. So that has been our top struggle at the moment. And then our second need would be indirectly linked to money, which would be investors who are willing to invest in high-risk enterprises, which are social enterprises or small enterprise ideas drafted by survivors, but that they have a high risk of uh, implementing them, either because of the ideas being innovative or new, or because the person who drafted them has not proved record of entrepreneurship or previous enterprises. I'm curious, just to provide our listeners with a little bit more education on some of the women that you're working with, how do most of them get free from trafficking? When it comes to Albania, because we work mainly with victims uh, in Albania and of Albanian origin, it happens from the identification units. There are some mobile units that operate into different areas of Albania, which are comprised by mainly social workers from uh, organizations or safe shelters, and they identify possible victims of human trafficking who might be abandoned or who might be a danger, and then they interview them and identify whether they are potential victims of human trafficking or they have a different vulnerability attached to their experience. So it's mainly they are freed by uh, the help of social workers or um, by the community support when we identify the signs, when we are willing to look beyond the surface. Right. I think the work that you're doing to educate us all is, is absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you was, so I was a founder of a new startup uh, that focused on female entrepreneurs. And so just naturally, I'm curious, 
you know, women who launch startups, they face additional challenges. You know, we lack equal access to funding, yes, but our companies also struggle with things like visibility. And what has been your experience navigating your market in your area in terms of being a woman who has founded a startup? For me personally, it has been uh, challenging in my area, especially um, in more rural areas than Tirana. Uh, mainly when it comes to the agriculture industry in Albania, which is the main industry or the tourism industry, where it's mainly owned by men, but worked mainly by women. And it has been challenging, especially when um, I needed to have conversations with businesses, which were mainly owned by men in their 50s. And I was a girl in my 20s. So that was a challenge. But I think when they see your willingness to help, when they see that you have a plan, that you're hardworking, uh, then the gender goes, uh, it's not anymore part of the discussion or the age because they manage to see the real you or the real plan that you hold. It's not an easy access door. You have to sometimes uh, knock a lot of times. You have to find windows. It's not always a straight line. So, so true. I just encourage, you know, people in general, but particularly women, your business can be 10 times big. Go, go for big, go for big. I, I definitely, Rasmus, wanted to ask you about green jobs because that conversation is on the rise. What have you seen in your industry in terms of trends and particularly amongst young professionals like yourself? It's a bit hard for me to answer because we're pretty much the only, only one doing what we're doing up here. You know, following what's happening in the world, I see a lot of these small vertical farms are popping up. So, so we chose to go down down to Spain. Also, they have, there's a huge greenhouse industry there. So, to get some inspiration and some some knowledge from people who are actually yeah growing in greenhouses hydroponically. Yeah, um, there's being a little bit grown in the south of Greenland in traditional greenhouses, and uh, but again, the season is very short. And I think 99% of vegetables are imported. So um, yeah, we consider them our, our colleagues, not so much competition. Um, and we yeah, have regarding green jobs. I think my closest colleagues, they're growing seaweed also for, for exporting. But definitely there's a lot more um, entrepreneurship in the, in the new generation. And also among women, I think um, here, for instance, in the university, University of Greenland, I think there's more women attending university than men. A lot of women here are business owners as well. So um, Greenland is a pretty equal society when it comes to that. The last thing I wanted to ask you before we hop into the PYD recommendations is, you know, here at Youth Lead, as much as we work with youth, we also work with governments and policymakers and the private sector. Uh, what do you both want them to know about what young entrepreneurs need? If you had a chance to kind of speak to them directly, speak for your peers, what would you want to tell them about being young and an entrepreneur and what you need? Suppose is a, is very important and often one would require people with a lot of experience, a lot of years on the in the, in the industry, but a lot of new ideas come from, from young people. I think it's very important to, uh, to get some support and to be an inspiration to others. The more young people that start businesses, the more will follow, I, I think. It's just believe in your dreams, try it. The worst thing that can happen is you fail. But then that's valuable experience too. What about you, Angela? We've had previously... Um 
the opportunity or the chance to meet with uh, some policymakers or at the European level. And then we had discussions. For me, the first thing is for them to see us people with experience and knowledge. Uh, sometimes experience is not only translated in how many years you've, you've been on earth, but also on what you've been through and how you've managed the challenges that you've been through. And all of this teach you resilience. So firstly, it would be to see youth as innovators, as uh, as an asset rather than just internship positions or people who would help them set up the tables but never be in the decision-making tables. And then uh, following this uh, first suggestion or advice, it would be to actually give to the young people the availability to have a seat in those decision-making tables, not just consult them when they already draft the strategies or when they implement those big projects, but actually have them on the boards, have them while implementing these projects. Because lived experience is, is crucial in, in any area of work. And then thirdly is more youth-led investments. Even if it's very risky and it has a higher risk than an investment, it, it would be made in, in, in a different business. I think it always drives innovation and it gives hope. It sets an example, especially with countries such as Albania, who are struggling a lot with the brain drain and keeping their talented youth in the country. Uh, such types of investments, I think they would be beneficial for both parties. One of the things that Youth Lead strives to do is to raise the voice and visibility of young people because you bring such a valuable perspective to the table. So I really loved that. Thank you. And thank you for doing that, for, for investing and uh, allowing our voices to, to become louder in a way. Our pleasure. Now it's time for my favorite part of the show, PYD Recommendations. It's when we do a spin on positive youth development and ask our guests for three PYD recommendations that we describe as follows. P stands for published, a published reading source you recommend on a youth development related topic. Y stands for youth, a resource or project you know of that is authored or led by a young leader that you want others to know about. Finally, D stands for disrupt a disruptive, innovative idea, project, or resource that does or will tackle a youth-related challenge. Rasmus is providing us with the first two, and Angela will round it out with the D for disrupt. Rasmus, what do you have? It's a book, a kind of an old book, actually, the, the book of self-sufficiency by John Seymour. It gave me a lot of inspiration, so I, I would recommend people who, who want to be more self-sufficient to do that. Before I went to Greenland, I actually lived a while in Sweden. I lived in the north of Sweden on a little farm where we, um, we tried to be self-sufficient. So that was a huge inspiration for me, even though it's, a, it's an older book. An oldie but goodie. I love it. What do you have for youth, a youth resource or a project that you know of that is led by a young leader? Um, sorry, sorry for the noise here. That's okay. Yeah, uh, so my mother is a teacher in Denmark focusing on dyslexic people. And I think people have a lot of preconceived ideas about dyslexic people. Actually, my partner in the company is dyslexic too. People often, what you call, underestimate them. I met a, one of her students who's developing a, an app called Subreader that's um, translating and um, reading loud the subtitles of TV shows, movies, and, and stuff like that. So that's, I thought that was quite inspirational and yeah. Oh, wow. 
And the last one is D for disrupt, a disruptive, innovative idea or project or resource that will tackle a youth-related challenge. A disrupt uh, initiative that I have loved from the first time I saw it. It's actually in Jamaica, very far away from where I'm based in Albania, but it's called Deaf Can Coffee Shop which is a small initiative, a youth-led social enterprise in Jamaica, which tackles the issue of youth unemployment in a very direct way. It's run by and also led by deaf youth Jamaicans, which uh, trains them to work as baristas in coffee shops, but also run their own coffee shops in local areas, also by aiming to have fair trade coffee. So it also serves the environment, but also the employment of youth vulnerable people. I'm always a, a huge believer of these ideas. And I, uh, I love when there is a, a social touch behind the coffee that I have or any product that I buy. Absolutely. I'm with you. That's a great recommendation. Thank you for sharing that one. I love things where, you know, when young people are able to receive training and then potentially turn it into their own business later, I think entrepreneurship is something that should be discussed with youth from a very young age. When I was a kid, I knew I wanted to be a writer, a, a journalist in particular, and I knew I wanted to write for a newspaper. It never crossed my mind that I could actually own the newspaper that I, I wrote for, you know? So when that came on in my life later, I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. You can actually own it, you know? <laughs> and so I thought, oh, what a different discussion when you're talking to young folks, right? to say, oh, what is it that you'd like to do, you know? And what if you owned that company where you did it at? It's yeah. a different mindset. And I'm sure it'll open their minds up to a world of possibilities. Absolutely. I think it's so important and brave to talk with children about entrepreneurship. I think we should do it more, especially in developing countries. It's even a more complex issue. I think it needs more time. Absolutely. I just want to thank you both so much for joining me here today. I love the work that you're doing. It has such strong social roots. Well, thank you both so much for joining me today here in the PYD lab. I can't wait to see what you both do. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you both. I so look forward to watching both of your journeys. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It was really a pleasure getting to know you both more and also the journey towards entrepreneurship. And I really look forward to sharing updates and keeping in touch. Yes, I feel the same way. And, and again, a huge respect for what you're doing, Angela. You're really changing the lives of, of many people. Thank you. Likewise, as you do when you're saving the environment, if there won't be any environment, there won't be any lives to save. So <laughs> we're both doing, doing important work. Angela, Rasmus, thank you so much for joining us again in the PYD Lab. Now we're going to hop into our three recommendations. Our resources this week are all about starter kits. I want to give you the hows to help you launch and skill your enterprises and business ideas. I have to start out by recommending the Social Entrepreneurship Starter Kit. You can absolutely advance social causes through the goods and services you provide, and this starter kit will tell you how. Our second resource is the Networking Starter Kit. New businesses need resources and business owners have to sharpen their networking skills. We have put together the ultimate networking kit to help change makers like you reach out and build the connections you need. Lastly, you really do not want to miss the lineup of entrepreneur profiles we put together for Global Entrepreneurship Week. 
We partnered with USAID Greenland on this campaign, and aspiring entrepreneurs can learn how their peers got their start, the challenges they faced, and discover advice for young business leaders. You can find a link to the campaign page and other recommendations from this episode over at youthpower.org backslash PYD Lab. Until next time, I'm Natasha, and you've been in the PYD Lab.